the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. ...their properties on social media and hoping the city, their co-op, condo board, or neighbors won't find out and shut them down. More travel info at armworldtravel.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land... We unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of the sins. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever we are americans this is always right radio on am 1420 the answer here's your host bob france Yes, it is. Good morning. Thank you so very much for being with us. We are underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the second morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2024. Hopefully I won't butcher that at some point throughout the day or throughout the week, because typically it's just like people when they flip open their checkbook and they got to write a check and they put the 23 in there, they put the wrong year, and it takes a few days or a few weeks to get used to doing that. If you still write checks. Anybody still write checks? Seth, when's the last time you wrote a check and didn't pay something online or with a card or with a Venmo? Probably a long time, right? Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yes. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. He's not the best color man in the league for nothing. I never read checks. I never, I never, never. <laughs> but when you used to have to do, well, I also remember going in school when you have to date, you you know, you used to have, have to uh, put your name in, uh, and the date of the assignment uh, that you're doing. Um, I would always write the wrong date in school for pr- pretty much the whole you know month of January. I can't so sure sign most... my own name anymore, to be yeah, honest. I, I can't do that either. Yeah, Texting and typing everything has uh, completely destroyed handwriting. Thank you so much, everybody, for being with us. Um 
Big Show, it's, since it's a Tuesday, we got a cursing out day, uh, which is really especially uh, uh, you know a bonus for you because you had a whole cursing out day this past Thursday. But I want to start by saying thank you to Khalid Namar, who did two of our days for us last week. Thank you to Peter Kersenow, who did one of the days for us last week. Of course, we gave you a best of show last week as well. Uh, and so I am ready to go, recharged and ready to go. And I mean this very seriously. It's I was a little unsure how recharged and ready to go I would be today because my three-and-a-half-year streak is over. My three, oh, not even three-and-a-half, three years and two-and-a-half months, technically, of not being sick since I had COVID is now over. And, of course, of course, the first time that I get sick since, since October of 2020, it happens on a vacation week. I took all of those days off last week. I was planning to do some things with my family. My daughter's in town from law school. My son is home uh, from college. And, you know, we had all of these plans. And I did a lot of them on Christmas week. But this past week uh, was brutal. I did. I, I got sick. It's the first time. I've had a nagging cough once or twice in the last three years. But um, I, I say all of this to give a little shout-out to my friend, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, uh, because Dr. Tenpenny is the one who put me on a vitamin probiotic regimen after uh, I got COVID in October of 2020. And she said it'll boost your immune system like you wouldn't believe. She was spot on. Uh, I literally went three years, two and a half months without having a sickness. And I'm talking about not a cold. I'm talking about not a fever, not a chill. Uh, but it all came to an end, my streak did, this past week. When I did, I got fevers and chills. I did not have bed rest because I had a lot of opportunity, or not up, uh, obligations, I should say, to do a lot of things. And uh, it lingered for about four days, I suppose. Wednesday through Saturday, I started to feel a lot better. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the streak is over. I'm very, very disappointed. I really liked it's that Seinfeld where Jerry bragged about never having thrown up since like 1981 or something stupid. Uh, that's kind of how I felt. I, I, and, and also because I just wanted to prove to people too, that, um, you know, your immune system works. The antibodies you built up from getting COVID, if you had COVID without taking any of those dangerous profit shots, uh, you know, it, it just, it works. And if you supplement your immune system with a little bit of those, uh, probiotics and, uh, and, uh, um, uh, and vitamins that uh, Dr. Tenpenny put me on. It's the same one, by the way, that was sworn to me to work by Dr. Peter McCullough when I had him on Strictly Speaking. Uh, we were talking off the air about that, and he talked about McCullough's recipe. It's very, very similar. It just works, uh, and your chances are very serious that uh, uh, my little sickness that I did have during my vacation week last week would have been multiplied, and far worse had I not been on those uh, on those probiotic regimens. So uh, I just strongly recommend it. If you haven't had that given to you before, I've read it on the air before to you. I don't have to read it. I've got to memorize, of course. It's vitamin C absorbate, absorbate. It's uh, vitamin D3. And with good sized doses, by the way, zinc, uh, quercetin, uh, those are the, the primary ingredients that you want to have be a big part of this whole thing. And it's going to, it's going to spike your own immune system too. You're going to really, really be in a lot better shape. So having said all of that, I didn't get to enjoy a ton of my days off because of the illness, but I am recovered and I am ready and ready to go. The battery is recharged and we have a lot to do today. Coming up in about, uh, I just got confirmation, thank you, Seth, that in 20 minutes or so at about 9.35, Representative Jennifer Gross is going to join us. She is one of the sponsors of the extraordinarily important uh, life-saving bill that was passed before the break by the Ohio General Assembly by both the House and the Senate. And that, of course, is House Bill 68. It's the SAFE Act, saving adolescents from experimentation, from evil, 
witch doctors. Hey, you shouldn't call witch doctors. That's an insult to witch doctors. From evil mad scientists experimenting on kids to see what will happen when they cut off healthy organs and try to manufacture new ones out of uh, harvested skin and flesh. It's literal Dr. Frankenstein type stuff that the left likes to call gender-affirming care. It is barbaric, it is mutilating, it is inhumane, it is impossible to defend. And yet, Governor Mike DeWine vetoed the passage of that very important SAFE Act, which also encompassed the Saving Women's Sports Act. And I've got a story on that, by the way, for a little bit later on this morning. But Jennifer Gross was among the co-sponsors of the SAFE Act and obviously was a big supporter of passing it, as was an overwhelming majority of House members and senators in Columbus. Uh, so we're going to talk to her at 9.35. Then at 10.10, we'll have Kersenow for his thing, uh, for a full, uh, you know, almost hour of, of uh, his commentary. And then at 11.10, we're going back to Columbus to talk to another outspoken supporter of the SAFE Act who is livid that Mike DeWine... The little Napoleon who just continues to set the bar lower and lower and lower. There is no level to which he will not stoop to prove to you that he is not, nor has he ever been, a reliable, constitutional, and family-supportive conservative. I don't give a rip what commercial he cut to oppose issue one. I don't give a rip about anything he has done. His legacy is not... By the way, it'll be Josh Williams... Uh, Toledo area congressman, I mean, uh, state representative Josh Williams will be our guest after the 11 o'clock hour, uh, top of the hour. Um, Mike DeWine's legacy has now been defined. He will forever be known as the man who attacked Ohio's economy, Ohio's schools, Ohio's children, who gave away millions of Ohio tax dollars in the most warped thing you've ever heard, vaximillions, giving people incentive incentive to go take poisonous profit shots in their arms, pushing them to, to be a part of some ridiculous lottery. And the reality is the, the, the likelihood of winning that lottery was much, much less of winning a very serious adverse event reaction to those jabs. What Mike DeWine did to this state during COVID can never, will never be forgotten nor forgiven. And now, as if that wasn't enough for his entire gubernatorial legacy to define him, now he gives us a veto, a veto of the SAFE Act. No, let's let children's quote-unquote hospitals and doctors, right, Governor Napoleon? Let's let them experiment on children who are confused and have no earthly idea what in the living hell they're doing when it comes to life-altering, forever decisions that are going to make their bodies different for the rest of their lives taking puberty blockers that are going to sterilize them to never let them have children once they come to their senses and they get away from the social contagion of this of this age and of this day and of the demons that poison and pollute their minds 
making decisions on taking cross-sex hormones that will forever alter their voices and their bodies. And even when they do come to their senses, they'll never be able to unring those bells, much less if they go all the way through and have the glorious, what do they call them, top surgeries. That's what they call them, top surgeries. Why? Because that's a genteel euphemism for mutilating and mangling a healthy young woman's breasts, removing two healthy organs in order to placate a sense of confusion and contagion and and popularity and influencing from a bunch of people who have no earthly idea what in the hell they're doing. Top surgery, they call it. Guess what? That can't be reversed. Neither can bottom surgery, which, of course, is a genteel euphemism for literally cutting off genitalia and then fashioning new genitalia out of arm flesh and leg flesh. Literal Frankensteinian, if that's a, an adjective, great. If it's not, I just made it one. Frankensteinian types of surgical body part removals and replacements and cobbling together like a jigsaw puzzle human beings starting when they're too young to know anything at all of substance or consequence anything which is why we don't let minors sign contracts if a minor signs a contract They're not held to it by a court of law. You want to know why? Because the judge will look at it and say the kid was under 18. They were not of the right mind to make an informed decision about whether what this contract entailed. It is null and it is void. Because kids don't know squat about squat. It's why they can't even get tattoos for crying out loud. I mean, there are so many things that we deny kid they can't drink. You can't. Why can't you decide if you want to be a drinker at 16? Because you're too stupid and young to know any better. It's not your fault. It's just the way the human brain works. It doesn't develop that fast. In fact, quite frankly, it's not finished being developed until you're around 26. And that's particularly for males. For girls, it's a little bit younger. And, yes, there are only two genders. There are only males and females. Hey, but two genders. Two genders. That's exactly Ain't right. But men and women. But the brains don't develop fast enough to make decisions on important things like this. You can't even smoke. Buy a pack of cigarettes to your 21. You want to know why? Because it's going to forever alter your body. It's going to forever alter your lungs and your brain cells. And you're too young to understand how serious that is. But Mike DeWine just slapped a veto on a bill that would have stopped kids from having their breasts cut off. Or taking chemical castration drugs to make them forever sterile. No matter how many detransitioners continue to speak out publicly about what a disastrous thing this was. And their fury and their rage and their sadness and their disappointment at the adults in their lives. The parents, the counselors, the coaches, and yes, the doctors. Who said, yeah, let's cut them off. It'll make you feel better. Yeah, let's go ahead and stitch up your, your, your female anatomy and we're going to implant something there. We're going to create a fake phallus out of it and you're going to feel super. You're going to feel more like yourself now because your gender will match your sex. 
First of all, there is no such separation. Second of all, even if there was, creating something, doing plastic surgery on someone does not change your sex. It merely changes your outward appearance. But what it also does is it destroys you from the inside. This is something that has been proven again and again and again. Nineteen times. Nineteen times more likely to try to commit suicide are adults in their 20s who started their transitions in their teens. They are 19 times more likely to commit suicide than average people in the same age range. Do you understand that? That's not 19%. That's 19 times. You want to know what gender-affirming care is, Governor Napoleon? Do you want to know what gender-affirming care really is? Gender-affirming care is a little boy going up to his mom and his dad and saying, Mom, I really feel like I'm a girl. Here's gender-affirming care. Well, you're not. Go to school. That's it. That's gender-affirming. You are what you really are. Every cell in your body, every strand of DNA in your body, every anatomical and physiological component of your body, You are what you are. That's gender-affirming care, affirming what somebody really is. Anything beyond that is helping to advance and promote a psychological disorder. I get sick and tired of the left ever since DeWine's veto celebrating this and saying all Governor DeWine did was decide that doctors know more about how to treat a trans child than than government does. Governor DeWine said government shouldn't tell them what to do. The doctors should know what to do. Two things. One, there are no trans children. It doesn't exist. There are kids who may be confused and have a psychological disorder along the lines of many other psychological disorders that require what? psychological treatment and psychological therapy no doctors physically mutilate human beings because of psychological disorders they used to many many decades ago when they performed lobotomies but a true physician an actual care provider does not would not will not commit bodily mutilation as a recourse for somebody with a psychological condition. It's never been done before. It never should be done. The best analogy I can offer is one that has been used many, many times. There are a lot of girls who used to suffer, and this used to be a much bigger epidemic, a social contagion, just like this one where they would think they were overweight. Every girl didn't want to be called fat. They didn't want to be seen as fat, so they all convinced themselves that they were fat, so they starved themselves. And then they would, they would, they would throw up their food every time they did eat. Anorexia and bulimia was a massive social contagion. Girls in their heads looked in the mirror and said, I'm still fat, I still see skin here, I still, still see a bulge there. And their bones, they're rail thin. Guess what? Those girls were taken to psychological therapists to get their their psychological opinion of what their body looked like and was 
um, managed and worked on and, and cured. They didn't take girls who were rail thin at 84 pounds but still thought they were fat, and that's why they're throwing up all their food. They didn't take them to doctors to say, yep, I support what your mind is telling you. You're fat. Let's get you on a liposuction machine. They never did that because that would be absurd. That would be malpractice. That would be disgusting. It would be completely violative of of the entire Hippocratic Oath that says do no harm. But now Governor Mike DeWine, our governor, says that we should cut the healthy breasts off of girls and the healthy genitalia off of males if their young, pre-developed minds say that's what they want to do. They don't send them to the counselor the way they would for the anorexia bulimia uh, social contagion pandemic. But when it comes to the trans pandemic and the social contagion of transgenderism, it's let's send them to the, to the surgeon and let's send them and get them on, on blockers and cross-sex hormones to destroy their bodies as they exist, then mutilate them and then say, go along on your way and I'll see you in a week because you are now a forever patient. You are a lifetime medical patient because everything they've just done to you is going to go wrong. I don't want to get into the specifics of it all. But that's what Governor Mike Mike DeWine just did to Ohio children. I have so much more to say on this, if you can believe it. That was just scratching the surface. Jennifer Gross is going to have more to say about it. Josh Williams is going to have more to say about it. I'm sure Kirsten is going to have more to say about it. And I'm sure you will have something to say about it, too. Hey, let's do our first pledge of 2024 before we take our time out and get to uh, Representative Jennifer Gross. For those who still believe in the, in the greatness of America and in the possibilities of restoring this country in this crucial year that has just begun, let's stand and face the flag and join us for this pledge. If you uh, don't have a flag, let's work on getting one here in early 2024. And if you don't believe in anything you're about to say, don't fake it. We don't need you virtue signaling, standing there proudly. You can instead take a knee like a good little socialist. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you for finally noticing. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 934. <clears throat> Good Tuesday morning to you. Thanks for being with us. So far, I'm two for two. I haven't called it Monday yet. Definitely feels like one, but I uh, appreciate you being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. So this is... Um, This is what the Attorney General of the state of Ohio says uh, about Governor Mike DeWine's veto of the SAFE Act, the Saving Adolescents from Experimentation Act, and the Saving Women's Sports Act, which was encompassed within it. Quote, HB 68 is about virtually all girls and women and should be able to compete in fair, who, excuse me, who should be able to compete in fair, safe competition. Not about the tiny sliver of transgender athletes. The remainder of the bill is not about medical decisions, but about the permanency and timing of those decisions. Kids should be kids and are not ready to make forever decisions. A minor cannot even enter into a legally binding contract in Ohio. Isn't a non-reversible surgery or medical treatment more important? The governor's veto was a mistake. 
That's what Attorney General Dave Yost said in a short tweet thread or Twitter thread or X thread or whatever it is that you want to call it. Uh, I was very glad to hear that. And he is among all of those people who, with the same mindset, who are encouraging Ohio House representatives and Ohio senators to quickly return to Columbus and override that veto of that important legislation. Joining us now. One of the co-sponsors on the House side of House Bill 68, the SAFE Act, which passed overwhelmingly, uh, 45th uh, District Representative Jennifer Gross. Representative Gross, good to have you back on our program here in Cleveland. How are you? I'm great, Bob. Thank you for inviting me to come on the show. Did you or were you surprised um, when you heard the governor's veto or did you expect it? I was absolutely surprised. I felt like as a governor who's leaving a legacy who has, I think, nine children and hundreds of grandchildren and maybe even great-grandchildren, I'm surprised that he would leave this, and female grandchildren, (laughs) I'm surprised that he would leave this as his legacy. We knew it would be tight. Our vote was 62 to 27. Um, We obviously had... Uh, 10 people missing. However, it, it was shocking. Um, what is it about your understanding of Governor DeWine that made you so surprised? I was, sad to say, not surprised. Um, I, I don't get a strong sense of uh, of purpose in this governor, um, of a belief in the conservative values that the conservative voters of Ohio hoped for when they elected him not once but twice. And I, I guess that's in large part because of what he did during COVID. Uh, I do not believe that he necessarily has the right moral center to make decisions like this. So I was not surprised. What do you, what did you see in him that made you more hopeful? I think trying to give him the benefit of the doubt is who Jennifer Gross is. And and I, I kind of looked at him as like a grandpa who wanted to keep Ohioans safe. And so he felt like, which is not the role of government. Our, our role, of course, is to preserve liberty, pass liberty, life-focused bills, right, and preserve the Constitution, not, you know, expand our, our driving laws to, you know, give more tickets or whatever. So, You know, for me, I gave him the benefit of the doubt, and I had believed that the logic of, you know, these surgeries are actually happening in Ohio. We have recorded voicemails from, you know, I won't name the hospitals, but we have recorded voicemails stating that children 16 and up for sure are having their breasts removed. I thought that things like that actual evidence would get him rather than the thing that we've heard all along is I'd rather have a living son than a dead daughter. And we all know that an XX does not equal an XY. So I had hoped that as an attorney himself and a man who has a family that he would, he would choose the right path. And obviously I was greatly disappointed, but I will tell you this, Bob, Mm -hmm. Veto overrides, when people ask me in Columbus, are you having fun there? I think if you don't live in Columbus, you should not be having fun there. You should be fighting for liberty, and a fight isn't fun all the time. But I'll tell you what's fun. We have had great disarray in the Ohio House, but a veto, that is fun. When we unite together and we come together, that's fun. 
I love that. You know, that was the one thing, uh, Representative Jennifer Gross, Ohio District 45, that's one the one thing that gave me a slight, small amount of hope is that the governor did not want to do something that he knew had already passed with uh, uh, override majorities, uh, because no governor, no executive likes to be vetoed. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of a stain on their record uh, if they get overridden like this, and he had to know that, you know, what the numbers were. So I kind of hope that might uh, deter him, but but he did it anyway, and I'm wondering now, and I'm sure you have been uh, following this story just like everybody else in Ohio and maybe around the country has, that in the aftermath of all of this, reviews of donations received by Governor DeWine for his campaigns for governor, totaling some $40,000 from Ohio Children's Hospital Associations, the Cincinnati Children's, Nationwide Children's Hospital, ProMedica Children's Hospital, all of whom support transgender medical care, which, by the way, is an oxymoron. It is not caring to carve somebody up, but particularly when their organs are healthy. But um, but at any rate, he took a lot of money from the hospitals that he says that he consulted with when making his decision. No conflict of interest there at all, is there? No, not at all. But I will tell you, remember that in his first gubernatorial campaign, he spent over $35 million. So when you compare 40000 to $35 million, you have to look deeper, and I, I, I certainly, as a non-politician until three years ago when I was elected, I certainly don't get a lot of these things still to this day. I don't want to get the political class because I'm not I'm more of a, you know, Thomas Massey, Rand Paul kind of Republican. So I don't, I'm, I, I, all I can say to you is $40,000, remember that my individual donation about the, the how much you can give to one house rep is 15,499 now. So when you say the governor of 11.9 million people took 40,000, it's like, yeah, okay, but it's got to be deeper, guys. It's got to be way deeper. There's got to be something else. So what is it? That's the question. That's what very- is it? That's a very fair point and a very good argument. However, I would also say that in in exchange for that, there had to have been promises made. So this may have been one component of what drove him to do something that was going to be deeply unpopular with Ohio's, uh, you know, red state voters. And we are a red state. I know. I know we did yeah. not win, you know, in November uh, on those two very important done. initiatives. But, but I'm sorry. We're not done. <laughs> no, I know. I know we're not done. But you know what? Again, as I was saying, we have it. We have, we have it. A overwhelmingly red uh, uh, general assembly. We have overwhelmingly red state office holders. The state supreme court. I mean, you know, the presidency. The last two elections by eight points or more. So he had to know what he was about to do was about to anger his base and the base, and yet he did it anyway. So I agree with you. Uh, uh, paybacks to those who promised him things and gave him money like this was probably part of it, but not all of it. And we need to know mm-hmm. what the rest of it was. So. Mm-hmm. Representative Gross, now let's talk about that override. Um, A couple of stories came out yesterday saying that individuals uh, on the Senate side say we are prepared to vote to override this as long as the House does it first. What what kind of tea leaves do you have as far as what this, or maybe it's even more than that, direct conversations with the Speaker, Jason Stevens, about getting this done on the House side? I don't, I was one of the, I'm not a Blue 22, so I don't really speak to the Speaker. Uh, but I, when I have to, I've not spoken to him since this happened. I will say this, our vote was 62. My, my interpretation was the governor is probably working behind the scenes to pull off a couple people. I think he's out of touch. I know he is as a representative who's had 30 town halls in my district and been beaten up by liberals almost every three months where I live. 
I will tell you that to understand the heartbeat of the people, you've got to be with them. And and the governor doesn't even have us to his mansion to have breakfast or talk to us or meet us in the lounge in session. He doesn't do any of that. So it's possible he's out of touch. But I would tell you that when I saw 62, I was worried because I thought, who's he going to peel off? And I looked at the list and I thought, you know, we've got we've got 12 of the 18 returning blue 22 that are going to be primaried. And they're in their own races. They have got to vote yes. And so um, it's really, it's, I, I don't think, I think he didn't, he was out of touch. And I also think he thought he could peel off three. Because remember, we need 60 votes to override a veto. And we only passed it by 62. When I looked at the list, Brett Hillier, I don't know where his district is, but he didn't vote. Uh, so our hope is that, you know, the, oh, no, he did vote. He is the one Republican that voted no on uh, the, the SAFE Act mm-hmm. on HB 68. So, so he probably, though. right, I mean, you know, but, but so he'll probably remain a no. It would be nice if he changed to yes, uh, you know, because he has a pretty tough primary, but, um, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think that it's, it's really um, uh, astute of, of our house to be able to look at it and go, okay, we have 60, we have 62 people, and I looked at the list, I don't see any. I mean, we have some weak ones, which I won't name. I'm, you know, the squish, the rhino squish, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But but they aren't, sorry, my other phone's ringing. Um, the, I don't think he's going to be able to peel anybody off, because we're in a primary season. All these things, you know, when you're in hunting season, and you're the target, and he, he everything's working against him bad political move and a person who's been in politics as long as our governor has been is going to leave a legacy i got a text that says this will be his legacy and we will not let ohio politicians believe that you can spend your whole life in office and then your last term do this kind of stuff and be forgotten and he's going to be remembered for this which is unfortunate yeah, I, I com- completely concur. Before you came on, I talked about his legacy being the destruction that he caused for the state of Ohio during COVID because his policies and his um, his his heavy hand was simply inexcusable and indefensible. So he's going to be remembered for COVID, uh, vaccinations. <clears throat> Closing schools, closing businesses, costing you know thousands of Ohio business owners their their livelihoods, uh, not just temporarily, thousands more temporarily, but those who never were able to open again. All of those things that he did in defiance of reality was going to be part of it, and now he's going to add this that he's going to have allowed with the stroke of his pen. Uh, Lord knows how many. And, and we haven't even talked, Representative Gross, about the the sports part of this. I'm just talking about not letting kids make permanent decisions with with cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers, much less the mutilating surgeries from the SAFE Act portion of this, but the Saving Women's Sports Act, too. Now young girls who have been protected by Title IX in the state of Ohio, if he gets his way and this veto holds, uh, young girls are going to lose the protections of Title IX. They're going to lose their private spaces, their private opportunities, their separate opportunities to compete, earn scholarships, and more. I, I, I... I think about that. I think that in order to really represent, you've got to think about, we have a bathroom. You walk in from our parking garage, a woman's bathroom, two stalls, one sink. Every time, and and really no one would hear you if you were in there. Okay. I think about what it would be like for me, the representative walking in, there's a man in the other stall. I come out to wash my hands. He walks out. He's, I'm 5'2", he's 6'2", dressed like a woman. 
and he's standing there. What if he meant harm? I'm not saying that, you know, trans people are harmful, okay? What I'm saying is that how, I mean, and I'm not a young thing. I'm over 50. So, you know, how awkward. How do, and how do you put a 12-year-old in that position? How do you put a young 13-year-old who's a swimmer at the YMCA in a position with a man's, you know, Franks and Beans hanging out? You know, I mean, it's really, you know, it's, it's just, it's, I, just, I try to think about what would that be like? What are they doing to our girls? What is happening? And by the way, there's an article I wrote, it just came out, I just saw it this morning. It's called, To Air is DeWine. <laughs> I forget. I don't know if it's the National Review. Yeah, it's National Review, Review. yeah. It, I actually tweeted it and shared it. Uh, it, it yeah. It, it, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's very well, you know, it argues a lot of the points that you and I are arguing right now about how foolish this veto was. So, Representative Gross, let's go back to the veto now, or excuse me, to the override now. Uh, how many did you say did not vote in the House uh, on 68? Ten. So we had 62 to 27, which is 89, and we have 99 House members. I believe there was only one not there, and it might have been Gambari. I don't know if uh, um, uh, Calendar voted. I'm not sure. I forget. I'd have to go back through. You can look up the list at um, the Ohio House and look up our bills. You can see, but... So what I want to know now is... um, when it comes to the override, do those ten who did not vote in the original on the original bill do they get to cast a vote to override or not? Correct, they can. So it's not just peeling off thing. three. It's not. It's not just peeling off three that voted for the bill now for Dewine. He has ten people that he can work with here, right? He he does. But remember, Bob, all we need is sixty. So if some of those that come back, which most of them are Democrats, okay, got that, it. So it's not a, it's not a percentage. Back. Yeah, it's not a percentage right. of the ninety nine. Okay, you're right. Right. Thank you. Right. Thank and you. Gambari didn't vote, and my hope is that he'd vote yes. So now on the sixty three column, even if Dewine peels one off. But remember, I mean, I would think, I would think now, you know, <laughs> stranger things have happened. I'm not saying, you know, that my colleagues are not smart, but I would think that any House Republican would be looking around at every single, every, all over the country, Megyn Kelly, uh, Riley Gaines, uh, Chloe Cole, all the people that are, that are speaking out, all the conservative talk shows, yours, everybody, mm-hmm. that any Ohio House Republican would not take a chance and vote no. I feel like... Like, you better show up, and it looks like it, I don't know, Stevens will tell us probably Thursday whether we're going to have the as-needed session next week on the 10th. But, but I, I, I would think any logical Ohio House Republican would understand that they better vote yes. Or this is the end of their political career. I certainly hope that's the case. This is the message we are endeavoring to get out to everybody to contact you, uh, you know, people in your district, contract, contact their state representatives, their senators, to encourage them and to let them know exactly that. I don't mean to make it sound like this is, you know, old-style Chicago politics when I say threaten them, but threaten them with the end of their political careers if they do not override this horrific decision made by the uh, the governor of the state of Ohio. 
Um, so I want everybody to make sure that they know to go to the Ohio House page, legislature.ohio.gov, and uh, find your representative's number, find their email address, contact them multiple times, share that information on your socials, share that information on your email chains, whatever you got to do to get more and more mm-hmm. people to let them know the people of Ohio are outraged that the governor is going to allow kids to be mutilated for his, uh, for his agenda. Um, yeah. Representative Gross, one last question for you. You have been a staunch advocate for medical freedom and choice uh, going all the way back into COVID, obviously. And uh, so I just want to maybe get a little uh, little uh, heads up on what's coming. What, what bills are still in the pipeline or what new bills are coming to protect Ohioans' rights to make up their own minds on what medications they take, whether or not they strap things to their faces and so forth? Can you give us any update on where we are headed into this, uh, into this year? Absolutely. We have um, HB 319, which is conscientious right to refuse. That means that reasons of conscience and religious reasons, you should not have to uh, endure any kind of genetic mutation, mRNA technology, and all vaccines. I think that uh, in light of, if people are not reading, if they're not trying to find, if they're not talking to people that are awake, not woke, about what is going on with the vaccines, because you aren't going to find it on your best research. You are not. You've got to go to Substack. You've got to go to McCullough. You've got to talk to, you know, a lot about Aturia. All those physicians that are speaking out, they must go and seek that data or they're not going to find it. Um, So 319 prevents all mandates for vaccines. um, And then, but it's it's religious focused. So you would you would get a religious exemption. We also have HB 73, my bill that has passed the House. That is the David Angie Patient Provider Protection Act, which says um, that a patient goes into the hospital that they cannot be denied treatment. Now that what that means is they don't get to go in and say, "I will get this, I will have that, you will, I will do what I believe." No, doctors still have the medical. Uh, uh, privilege and the relationship with that patient to make their educated medical choices, but it allows that physician to not be, um, not be, sorry, I'm so sorry, Um, not be, it allows a physician to not be ramrodded by a, a hospital policy when they are the artists and experts of a patient, their patient, and it allows that physician to say, I've tried everything. I believe this. I've got my colleagues believe this might work and this might work and this might work. And I want the opportunity to try it. At that point, if the hospital says no, another physician or the physician doesn't want to do it, another physician who says I'm willing to try can get temporary privileges, come into the hospital and save that patient potentially. So there's that. And then uh, Representative Scott Wiggum has um, a constitutional amendment. It has not been heard yet. Uh, but it will go into our it would go on the ballot and um, would prevent any mandates of masking, which I'm hearing now is happening in Hudson City schools again on buses with sports. I mean, you know, we've got to stop this madness. I was removed from health committee as the only Republican health care provider for standing. And 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 people I anyway, so we haven't stopped. Um, I would encourage people to write their representatives about 319, write their senators about 73, because that bill is now in the Senate, has not had a hearing. The chair is uh, Steve Huffman. And um, I'm, I'm, I've done some interested party meetings. I don't know, you know, he says I'm the delay, so I'm trying to make sure there is no roadblock there. 
and um, and then we're going to keep moving forward. I, I want the people to know that there are fighters uh, in the House, but 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 when we don't pass some of this good legislation, I want to say to them, you haven't sent us enough of them. You got a lot of squishes that say they're Republicans, that say they stand for life, that say they stand for liberty, that say they're standing for limited government. But as my congressman, Warren Davidson, said, you know, conservatives are, we're, we don't have anything left to conserve. I mean, the government has grown so big, you know, it's, 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 we need the people to be, to hold, to be a government of form by the people and hold their representatives accountable. The only way we can pass this legislation, and I'm sorry that they have to spend their precious time and they should be working and, and they should be sending the Columbus people that actually represent them. But unfortunately, you've got to get in, dig in, get down in the dirty, go to the to the town halls, look at these candidates and actually do your homework. Because Republicans, there's the globalists and then there's the liberty fighters. And we've got all of the above in our house. And you are one of the fighters. I love it. Uh, Very, very great information, important information. I hope people take you up on every single one of those things. Make sure to uh, talk to the Senate uh, about HB 73. Get that passed. Obviously, we need to get HB 319 over the line as well, and the constitutional amendment by uh, uh, Representative Wiggum, certainly worth our support as well to prevent the ridiculous mandated masking. Uh, Representative Gross, thank you for coming on. Um, Do you anticipate, by the way, the vote to be next week, as soon as you guys get back? I do. The I, do. I do. I, I do. I do. I can't speak for Stevens. Obviously, he doesn't necessarily do what I want him to. <laughs> so, uh, but I would hope that he reads the tea leaves, as you said earlier, mm-hmm. and that he understands that um, the people of Ohio want this. And I, and I'd like to end to Bob, if you would let me, and just say that. I love all people and people that are struggling with gender identity and gender disorder. My heart goes out to those people. Um, Permanent disfigurement and things when we know that there's, you know, huge rates of suicide after actual physical surgical transition. Um, it, It is tragic. And boys getting... Uh, scholarships, four-year college scholarships to compete against women, girls in college. This is this is this is crazy. We sometimes you got to stand up and just go, okay, um, back some sanity. Yeah. Let's let's look at what is reasonable, and it is not reasonable to cut off genitals of 16, 17 year olds in Ohio. Ohio is not that state. No, nor to no. put them on 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 chemicals that will you know, forever sterilize them. It is uh, it is just unconscionable to do those things. That's By right. the way, uh, Representative, rather Speaker Stevens' phone number in Columbus is six one four four six six thirteen sixty six. According to the Ohio House page, I urge everyone to contact not just your own representative and uh, senator to make sure that we re- the uh, override this veto, but contact Stevens to make sure he holds the vote ASAP as soon as the session resumes. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. 
This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Our number two is underway. It's eight minutes past ten o'clock on this Tuesday, the eight, or excuse me, the second morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, twenty twenty-four. And uh, I want to start this hour the same way I started last hour by saying thank you to everybody who made last week happen for me. I took a few days off. It was ostensibly to enjoy vacation time or on the holidays between Christmas and New Year's. Instead, I spent it sick for the first time. I actually got sick and would have missed days of work had I been scheduled to work. Uh, first time since uh, October of 2020. But um, regardless, I was out and I needed help to get in. So I want to say thank you to Khalid Namar, who held down the fort for us on Wednesday and Friday. He is a phenomenal talent. And I really love having such a great deep bench there. Khalid did a great job. And, of course, that book ended the appearance of one Peter Carsonow, who did the show for us on Thursday, to great reviews. And I mean that literally. Everybody who has emailed me uh, thanked me for letting Peter Carsonow. They always feel smarter after listening to him for two hours and 45 minutes. And I concur and as a matter of fact i was so pleased with the response i said what do you what the hell let's have him back again today yeah it's tuesday and that means it's a curse in our day let's bring on our good friend Peter. <laughs> longest serving member of the united states commission on civil rights he's a cleveland attorney a best-selling author with a new book out by the way that was out just in time for christmas as we told you uh, he's also a sometimes law professor, and uh, he is the host of the Curse and I Report on AM 1420. The Answer, Pete, welcome back, my friend. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Bob, and thanks for, first of all, thanks for that introduction, but also thanks for letting me sub for you. It's always a pleasure, and, um, you know, I learn a lot when I sub. You've got uh, terrific callers, and, of course, they're great Americans. I just, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege and an honor. Yeah, they, we do have a lot of great American patriots who listen to this program. I'm very, very proud of that. So, uh, so Pete, thanks for doing that. And uh, you've got your work cut out for you today, my friend, because there's a lot of very important things happening. While we were out, uh, or as the holiday approached, I should say, uh, we had a wonderful uh, piece of news coming from our General Assembly. The legislature in Columbus overwhelmingly passed um, what should have been what it was, which is you know, a very easy decision to support kids uh, and to stop the experimentation upon them by radical doctors or pseudo-doctors, if you will, the passage of the SAFE Act, which was entitled Saving Adolescents from Experimentation, which is what transing them from one sex to another, permanently disfiguring them for the rest of their lives when they're too young to know any better. Uh, and encompassed within that important SAFE Act was the Saving Women's Sports Act, which uh, provided girls or provides girls and women with the Title IX protections they have had now for over 50 years to make sure that they have their own sports competitions and the opportunity for awards and for scholarships and so forth. All of those things were passed, so we went into the break very, very happy. But while we were out, uh, Governor Mike DeWine... Uh, decided to go ahead and do what I expect Mike DeWine to do at all turns, and that is the wrong thing. He vetoed that bill that uh, was passed overwhelmingly, and now we're going to rely on an override by that General Assembly. Pete, your thoughts when you found out Mike DeWine vetoed? My thoughts are that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I thought Mike DeWine was a good Republican, and 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 he's probably a nice guy in a superficial sense. But his governorship is deeply flawed, and I wish 
somebody had uh, prevailed in a primary against him. I know that you and I worked for another candidate uh, during that period of time, and uh, I was hoping that uh, anybody would have beat him. Jim Renacci uh, only got 20%, unfortunately, in a multiple um, candidate primary. Uh, we have to be smarter as Republicans in terms of getting the appropriate candidate. But, but getting to the chase here, um, when I did sub, I had John Stover, who you know from Ohio Values Voters, who's immersed in this topic and gave us a rendition of everything that's wrong with it. And uh, frankly, I don't know what DeWine is thinking. Um, if there was any thought in his mind when he vetoed this, this is common sense. Most, more, more importantly, when it comes to the Save Women's Sports Act, it's not just common sense. It's a matter of fairness and also safety, because females have been and will continue to get hurt competing against males. And the males they compete against are usually the weakest of the males. Sorry to say that, okay? Uh, but they're the weak males who can't get the job done competing against other males. So what do they do? They cheat, and they, they pretend to be females and uh, compete against women. And uh, there have been a number of occasions where females have gotten hurt as a result of that direct competition, uh, physically hurt, as well as um, hurt in terms of placement and opportunities. You know, we have the case, uh, and I've had the attorneys, when you've allowed me to substitute a couple of times, I've had the attorneys for the Seoul case up in New Hampshire, where track athletes uh, were suing because two transgender males had, uh, or I don't even know what the term is, even though I'm on the Civil Rights Commission, we've had hearings on this. Two males who claim to be female uh, took those positions from them. It's ultimately unfair. My daughter is long since grown. I've got two granddaughters now, and at some point they're going to be, I mean, my, my oldest granddaughter is a phenomenal athlete. She's, you know, breaking records all over the place. She's not yet competed against a male. Um, I will tell you that I am not a pleasant person when I see a wrong done. I'm not going to sit idly by if uh, my granddaughters are somehow disadvantaged because of the stupidity and insanity of adults who should know better. Not doing it. Sorry, I'm not, st I'm not you know, threatening violence, but I'll threaten all of the resources that I have, legal, you name it, uh, to go after people who do this kind, deprive people of rightly held opportunities. But in addition to that, um, per perpetrating or perpetuating this insanity upon society. This is not sane. This is the definition of insanity. Bob, I can go on and on and on. I don't want to, and if I do, um, I'm going to start using expletives, and I don't want to jeopardize the license like I typically do whenever you allow me to guest host. <laughs> uh, I don't believe that for one second. I do believe you want to use those that language, but uh, we're always safe with you. Pete, um, uh, two responses to what you just said. The first one is, um, a, a new story that literally I just uh, read this morning. It was posted on the Daily Mail online on the 30th, so it's about uh, three days old now, I guess, the story is, or four. USA Boxing is now going to allow transgender women to compete against female boxers uh, in t uh, starting in 2024. USA Boxing has adopted a transgender policy which will allow, allow male boxers who transition to fight in the female category uh, starting in 2024. The governing body which oversees America's amateur and Olympic-style boxing will allow transgender athletes to compete under certain conditions. Boxers under the age of 18 must still compete as their birth gender, but if they're over 18 and they meet criteria including having completed the full gender reassignment surgery and regular hormone testing to make sure their hormone levels are at a minimum um, uh, at a certain level for a minimum of four years following their surgery. If they complete those requirements, Pete, then males, biological males anyway, can uh, can beat up women. 
It's almost as if they didn't see Fallon Fox. Yeah, I will tell you that, um, and that's a good example, but I will tell you that um, at some point, some of this lunacy will come to a screeching halt when, as I've said for years now, when there are multi-million dollar lawsuits that are not just filed, but awarded, uh, damages awarded against the organizations, the people who permit this kind of insanity. Someone, people have already been hurt badly, but uh, aside from deprival of opportunities, but someone's going to get killed, literally killed, and boxing is the area where it's going to happen. You and I both Peter, know... Peter, uh, if, if I may, that's what Riley Gaines tweeted in response to this story, quote, USA Boxing, to allow men who merely say they are women to fight against women, mark my words, it will take a woman getting killed before these misogynistic fools wake up. That's exactly what she said. Riley Gaines is a, is a, is a gem, a, a national treasure, and what's unfortunate is that she is a national treasure. In a country of 300 and whatever, 40 million people, that one person says what is plainly evident on its face, and they, they become heroines? Well, they should be. I mean, I, I, I think she's got a lot of, of bravery, but that says something about where we are as a society today, that merely speaking, plain spoken truth is somehow remarkable, and it's it's... Unfortunately, today it is when it shouldn't be. But someone's going to get killed. The fact of the matter is, even if, with all those qualifications that the uh, the authority puts onto it, once someone has entered puberty, it's baked in. The advantage is baked in. And I don't care what kind of puberty blockers or anything else you put into it. Once puberty has started, all the genetic and endocrinologic, uh, end, end, endocrinologic, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. But all of the chemical processes have already been baked in. There's going to be a natural advantage in terms of bone density, uh, muscle strength, and everything else, quickness, you name it. Um, and someone's going to get hurt, in, aside from boxing, uh, in every other sport. There is a natural advantage that can't be reversed once somebody has gone to puberty. So all these things they keep talking about, all these caveats these organizations keep placing on the participation of transgenders is just complete fantasy. And we need to stand up very, very respectfully, you know, respectfully, but adamantly, aggressively, and without flinching, say, no mas can't do this. We're not going to descend into insanity just because we, most of us are, are nice people and good people. We don't want to give unnecessary offense where we don't have to. But there comes a line where you have to say, look, I, I understand, but you know what? You have an opportunity to compete against your biological sex. No one's depriving you from competition. But the fact of the matter is, you are, regardless of what you think you are, you are, uh, if the person is a biological male, a biological male, a biological female. And what we never see is biological females transitioning to become uh, trans males. I, I think that's the term, and I should know this because I'm in this area, but I keep getting confused, and that's, that's another issue. That's what they want. Never, they want us to be confused over it so right, that you can exactly. literally blur the line between male and female if you don't even know what to call them. That's why the pronoun game matters to them. Yep, you nailed it, Bob. But you never see it going in the opposite direction. You never see a female that wants to compete against males. You never see that. Never, ever. If this was a legitimate process, you would have seen almost an identical number of females competing against males and vice versa. But you don't see that. We'll see a bunch of mediocre males, mediocres being probably charitable in terms of their capabilities, deciding to compete against females. And some of these folks, when you look at them, I'm not a psychologist, but I'll play one on the radio, some of them appear to be attention seekers. Um, they, they like the, the overwhelming majority of them are. 
Yeah. The overwhelming I mean, I, majority of them yeah. are social contagion victims who join in for the for, for the attention. I call them attention whores. I don't care. That's exactly what they are. They're seeking attention and seeking clout and seeking popularity and seeking clicks and likes and monetizing things online for being so brave and so courageous. That's what most of this is. Riley Gaines is doing the job that thousands of people should be doing in responsible positions. Riley Gaines is not a member of the NCAA. She's not, a, you know, none of those positions. She doesn't hold any kind of adjudicatory authority over any of these things. She is, however, a very plain-spoken and outperson person, uh, outspoken person who seems to have more guts and, frankly, more testosterone. <laughs> let's, let's face it, more testosterone than a lot of the leaders, so-called leaders of these governing organizations. This needs to be done in a compassionate way. Look, uh, conservatives are nice, compassionate people. We don't go out of our ways to insult individuals, uh, but by the same token, we live in reality. We cannot continue to allow this to happen. Um, you know, my daughter, obviously, she, she competed in sports, never even confronted this issue, but now it's got granddaughters. And so it's an issue that is near and dear to my heart, especially because they compete in sports and are very good at it. And so far, they've not had to compete against any males. But if that situation were to occur and I had, you know, advanced knowledge of it, I know I probably would take some kind of action. I won't tell you what kind of action it would be, but I would not be a happy camper. I'm not saying that I'd be engaged in any kind of violence. So, you know, for those out there who, you know, get the vapors, uh, sorry, I'm not going to do that. But uh, I'm going to use all the resources I have to make sure that there's a level playing field for my granddaughters and all females. This is this. Um, I'm going to use the mute, uh, the dumb button on my, on my own brain here. Uh, you know, all of us, I think, get very excited when we hear about this because it's elemental. This is not something that you've got to be a pro at. Now, I'll say that when I had, we had a hearing, oh, the first hearing we had on transgenderism at the Civil Rights Commission was a good, oh, 12 years ago, I think, you know, my old standard line was of... Was it really that know long? What, Oh, yeah. What I said, what I always like to say is if you want to know what the left has planned for the society five years from now, come to a Civil Rights Commission hearing today, um, because that's where they try out all their stuff at the Civil Mm -hmm. Rights Commission. And people keep asking me, well, what's next? And I've told them and people don't believe me. And I'm not going to repeat it over the over the air. But there's another there's another line that they're going to cross. And all of you will be astounded by it when I finally do say what it is. But you can believe that uh, it abandons all morality, all all sanity, you name it. But Nonetheless, I recall when we had these hearings, I I was still, you know, even just 10, 12 years ago, this was something that was, you know, surprising, shocking, whatever the the term may be for most people. Um, But it already had been in place for quite some time. Now, the, the athletic competition hadn't permeated much of society as it has today. But, you know, we had uh, evidence adduced with respect to that, too, and a witness with respect to, you know, the, the all the great things about having you know, men compete against women. Um, as you might expect, I was not persuaded having been an athlete. And even in my decrepit state, I can tell you that there, 99% of women out there could not beat me in almost any event. And I, I'm an old man. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not LeBron James either. This is just, uh, this is craziness. And someone is going to get hurt more than just, you know, figuratively. Someone is going to get physically hurt badly. Already we have. I mean, you know, we've had a number of uh, female MMA boxers, uh, boxers and MMA uh, competitors who have been hurt, and others are going to get hurt. Uh, It's just not fair. The the fact that we would do this tells us that the social contagion that Abigail Schreier talks about in her book has, uh, I think, reached a critical mass or exceeded it. 
And if we don't pull back from this immediately, but getting back to the person who purports to be our governor, um, this is something that we've got something to do. First of all, it's not going to work, but and, and I'm usually not in favor of futile acts, okay, just for the sake of, of doing something. But sometimes futile acts send a message, and send a message to all those who might be similarly inclined. And that is, I wish someone, and I don't have the time or, or ability to do it right now, but I, I would be very encouraged, and I'd try to you know, give as much help as I could, to anyone who tried to mount an effort to remove DeWine. And you say, well, that's kind of an overreaction based on one bill. No, it's not. No, it's We've not. had a consistent number of acts on the part of DeWine who owes his position exclusively to the fact that he claims an R after his name, but has not been acting consistent with that R. And society, at least in Ohio, is suffering as a result. This was a no-brainer. This was an easy one. And yet he messed it up completely. And a lot of people are going to be harmed, if not hurt, because of this. In, unforgivable, inexcusable. And to the extent I had any residual I don't know, regard for DeWine, DeWine and it was, there was not a whole lot of it. Uh, it has since evaporated, and I'll do whatever I can. If he ever thinks about running for anything again, and again, he's an old man, so I doubt it. I'm hopeful this, he is going to be limited to this last term and doesn't think about running for, for that or anything else. But if he does, I'm going to use all the resources at my disposal, uh, as you and I did last time, Bob, to try to make sure that he doesn't uh, hold office again. Because we have overwhelming vote from, this is Ohio, it's a plus eight red state, and we had a General Assembly that voted, voted overwhelmingly, and, and uh, John Stover gave us the numbers, I believe. I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but the, you know, the General Assembly, consistent with this being a conservative state, voted consistently with that by overwhelming margins, and our supposedly Republican governor vetoed it. Unforgivable, sorry. Yeah, I, com I completely concur. Uh, I, I, I do want to hit a little more on this on the other side of the bottom of the hour break, uh, only because I want to read a couple of the lines from DeWine uh, explaining his rationale here, and I want to give you a chance to respond to that. But then we're also going to talk about the ongoing invasion. Pete, it is, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's beyond anything. As, ba as bad as it has gotten, it just got worse. And I want to get your thoughts uh, on the invasion as well. More travel info at armworldtravel.com. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, we do continue now at 1034 with our special guest, Peter Kersenow. He's our regular Tuesday guest, and I'm so glad to have him back for another year as we flip the calendar to 2024. Pete, last thought on the DeWine veto, a veto of the SAFE Act. We spent most of our time last segment talking about the Saving Women Sports component of the SAFE Act, but uh, I want to just talk about the transing part of this whole thing. As you well know, uh, you know, minors are not allowed to do virtually anything, buy a pack of cigarettes, right. cast a vote, uh, buy a gun, uh, you know, uh, uh, drink alcohol and so forth, enter into a legally binding contract. But if they say we want to uh, uh, start taking drugs that will chemically castrate us, making us infertile forever, and then drugs to make us change our bodies forever and these cross-sex hormones, all as a prelude to the, uh, to the actual surgery that we were discussing, Governor Mike DeWine says, hey, go for it. Um, so here's what he wrote <clears throat> as part of his veto uh, explanation message. Were I to sign the uh, substitute House Bill 68, or if it were to become law, Ohio would be saying that the state, that the government, knows what is best medically for a child rather than the two people who love that child the most, the parents. 
While there are rare times in law and other circumstances where the state overrules the medical decisions made by parents, I can think of no example where this is done not only against the decision of the parents, but also against the medical judgment of the treating physician and the treating team of medical experts. So, Pete, I I look at that and I just cringe because, uh, first of all, sadly, many of the problems that we are seeing in the transiting of America are originating with the parents. You've got parents bragging on TikTok about how I've got five children, three of them are gay, and two of them are non-binary, or one is is trans, which, of course, is a statistical impossibility. They raise them in certain ways in the same way that the kids suffer uh, from, uh, you know, from the chasing of clout and chasing of popularity and so forth uh, and to score woke points and to increase their social credit score. They do these things to their kids. We don't let parents abuse their children because they're their parents. We don't let them beat them to within an inch of their lives. We don't let them do all kinds of horrendous things to them. We require them to be clothed and fed and educated and so forth. We don't have uh, an unlimited parent's rights to do whatever they want to do to their kids. Uh, The state does have to step in sometimes and remove kids from unhealthy situations. Wouldn't this be one of those times? This probably would be Exhibit A in terms of one of those times. There's a reason why we have Child and Protective Services. There's a reason for it. And in most cases, the intervention should be rare and should be in the most extreme cases because we give preference to the rights of the parents to raise kids as opposed to the state. But then there are certain occasions, and you went through a litany of them, where the state must step in to protect the child where there are cases of abuse and cases of where the person's vulnerable, in danger in some respect. And what we've seen with respect to, look, this is no longer just a new circumstance that we're trying to fathom. We've got a lot of data now, and it's still being accumulated, but we've got a lot of data that is so clear that shows that the, uh, look, I'm not trying to paint a broad brush, so I hope people don't get upset, but the data show that those uh, Adolescents who have a desire to transition usually come from dysfunctional households, and I'm putting that very mildly. And it's usually a single-parent household. And it's very often the case that it's a household of someone who is promoting the transition. Um, There are no breaks on this. Okay, Now, for all those out here who are are listening to my comments, these are not my comments. These are the comments of professionals and statisticians who've looked at this. I'm simply repeating what I've heard at the Civil Rights Commission, the data and the research that we've gotten there. And as you've indicated, why would we be, or given, even if you take as given that uh, parents, as Dwayne said, should be making this decision, uh, why would we want to promote a decision that shows percentage on a percentage basis to have so many profoundly negative outcomes this is one of those things why we have organized a government to protect vulnerable individuals to assist in making these kinds of decisions in a responsible way most of the time we conservatives don't want unnecessary government intervention this is one of those times when we would say, you know, this makes sense, finally. This makes sense. Other things, you know, national defense, a lot of things where we want and organize a government, okay? But they want to get involved in almost every other thing except the most essential things, and I would say this is the most essential. And we can show it from, from the standpoint of mere statistics as opposed to only common sense, but common sense tells us this. When you, I think you, you mentioned the suicide rates. Um, the suicide rates are astonishing, and it's not just 1,900% greater, and I don't think we should be promoting anything that increases suicide rates by 1,900%, not even 1%, frankly. 
but it's it goes beyond that i mean it's it's a circumstance where once you make that decision game over you don't go back and it's disfiguring it it's just deformative um i don't know of anyone who has seen any uh surgery that looks natural or good and we've got so many people who regret their decision but they're for, forever scarred now. Right. And we don't have anybody to step in and put the brakes on and say, wait a minute, okay, before you rush into this, let's think about this. So for DeWine to say that, well, we have a Child and Protective Services Department for a reason, Governor DeWine. If you believe what you just stated, that it has no qualifications, then you should completely zero out the Department of Child and Protective Services because it has no good reason for, for existing. There's a reason for this. There's a reason why you have a government, and it's in extraordinary circumstances. I would argue this is an extraordinary circumstances that requires us to pump the brakes, act with due deliberation, and in most cases, actively discourage and do everything we can to make sure the individual doesn't go through this life-changing process. Yeah, completely concur, Pete. And, uh, and it's so important to note exactly what you just said. Um, the the government does indeed step in when children are being abused in some way or another by their guardians, whether they be their legitimate parents or their foster parents or or whatever the case might be. Uh, the kids need to be protected, and that is ex- this is exactly what the laws are intended for and what those departments are for. So I'm so glad to get you on the record about that. Now I want to move to the dan- other dangers that so many of our kids and all of us are facing in this country. Now we're being invaded. Over 300,000 illegal uh, border crossing encounters in the month of December. Typically around the holidays, it winds down. Uh, this year, it did not. It ramped up. And, and I can only surmise that it's because some people realize that 2024 being an election year, right. um, you know, there, there may, you know, the door may soon close, that the Biden administration may actually start to clamp down a little bit just to, to give the impression that they care about the border invasion. We know that they don't, but of course they've got to try to sell the illusion in an election year. But it ramped up even more, and it's being hand or it's being we are being invaded by this overwhelming majority of soul individual military age males traveling right. without their families um and and somebody on twitter an account called in uh, wokeness put it this way and i want to agree with it and i want to see what you think about it um people men fleeing war take their families with them men going to war leave them right. behind and and, yep. and and we're looking at this right now, Peter. Um, uh, this is this is beyond any reasonable or even unreasonable defense that the Biden administration can possibly offer here. There's a video on Fox of of um, Egypt, uh, uh, just a whole slew of people. Where are you from? Egypt, Egypt, e- Egypt, Egypt. Where are you headed? Anywhere. It doesn't matter. They're going all over the all over the country, and it's like people continue to think that this is about helping people fleeing poverty in Honduras or 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 you know Nicaragua or anywhere else. They think that this is some sort of humanitarian issue. Peter, this is so far beyond that, and the Biden administration continues, at least for the moment, to look the other way. And you say what? I say, we're the Republicans. I say a lot of things, but we're the Republicans. This is maybe the most most impeachable offense that's ever been committed in the history of the United States, and they are missing in action. Uh, We are seeing right now a destruction of the United States. That's not hyperbole. And we have destroyed the border. Not we. The Biden administration has completely destroyed the border. We have the estimates that you came up with. Usually what you should do, rule of thumb, again, 
I go by what I've learned at the Civil Rights Commission. Rule of thumb is usually when they say 300, it's probably 600,000. And when they say 1 million, it's probably 2 million. And you may recall, I'll go back to this again. In 2013, the last time we had a debate about immigration, a major immigration bill sponsored by McCain and Kennedy, I was the only witness testifying before the Senate on this. That was unforgivable in and of itself, that I would be the only witness testifying. Now, I was not the only witness. Uh, Doug Holtzikin uh, was on the other side arguing for, uh, you know, more expansive immigration. I was saying that this was a tragedy on steroids, that it was hurting America, and I had statistics to prove it. That was, frankly, when the, the situation was bad in 2013. It is unimaginable now. We have got, as you indicated, military-age males from hostile nations flooding the border, including China, okay? Mm-hmm. Thousands of military-age Chinese males coming across the border. Also, a number of people from terrorist-sponsoring countries. And to the extent we've been able to catch them, we've had hundreds of people, and probably at this point in September, I think it was 700 people that were caught who were on the terror watch list. You know how difficult it is to make the terror watch list? They don't just, you know, kind of casually put you on that thing. But to capture them, because these individuals have a special incentive to evade capture, that tells you that so many more are crossing. Most of these people who are crossing the border simply present themselves to Border Patrol because they know Border Patrol is going to pretty much act as a chauffeur for them. But terrorists are going to try to avoid capture. So when we capture, capture about 1,000 of them, you know, you may, may as well at least multiply that by, you know, I don't know, um, who knows what. We just don't know. And that's the fact that we don't know is unforgivable. But aside from the um, national security threat that this poses, the cost is extraordinary. We're talking $450 billion is the estimate that this is costing us in this year alone. This is extraordinary. We can't do this. We are already, you know, operating at a huge deficit, and the national debt is climbing like crazy, and yet we're importing people who have no jobs, who are going to be competing against low-skilled Americans. Again, one of the things I testified in 2013 is, at that time, at that time, think about this, when we had a much more, quote-unquote, manageable rate of illegal immigration, more than one million black males were out of a job as a direct result of competition from illegal immigration because those two cohorts compete in the same labor markets. In addition, it depressed wages for all Americans because illegal immigrants would come in and work for lower wages. And let's face it, a lot of uh, employers out there would employ, employ these folks because, frankly, some of them are very, very good workers. But they're not going to be complaining to the EEOC, OSHA, or any other agency if they, you know, have any kind of a problem. And they'll work for substandard wages, if not below minimum wage. So we've got this economic impact um, on um, Americans. We've got the national security impact and also the health impact. We are now seeing for the first time in decades the proliferation of diseases long thought eradicated, polio, leprosy, all these things that have come across the board. One of the reasons, one of the many reasons why we have a lawful immigration program or or, uh, situation is so that we can vet people, not simply from the standpoint of crime and national security, but also to make sure that they're not bringing in long since eradicated diseases into this country that are going to metastasize. So we're seeing these deadly diseases now being brought across the border and the Biden administration is welcoming more and more of these individuals. And eventually some of these, um, as you've seen on television very often in the last several uh, weeks, 
you've got these so-called sanctuary cities becoming closed camps once those individuals come actually come to their cities and they have to instead of virtue signaling they got to take care of these people i mean chicago is just one of them and even that mayor is so brain dead that he continues to blame governor abbott for the problem when it is clearly uh, a national security problem imposed on us from the biden administration but nonetheless well not just you know, not just that mayor either by the way uh the, right. the uh, alderman there in fact here listen to this one pete we've seen the conditions worsening um because of the um, tactics that continue to be worsening. Now we see uh, Governor Abbott even sending uh, people uh, by plane, uh, which is putting really uh, our communities not only in, at risk, but is really uh, putting our, our whole communities at the brink of, um, of collapse. So that's a Chicago alderman named Byron C. Joe Lopez saying that the entire communities are on the brink of collapse because Governor Abbott keeps sending them up there. So what? He doesn't care if the city of Houston collapses, if the city of Dallas collapses, if San Antonio right. collapses, if the smaller towns that are along the border collapse. As long as it does, as long as our blue state or excuse me, blue city, which declares ourselves a sanctuary, doesn't collapse. I don't care what happens in Texas. That's their mindset. Right. Yeah, that's the Democratic mantra. You know, it's politically motivated because they know it's doing profound damage to them politically. In Chicago right now, you've seen some of the protests from uh, Chicagoans saying, what the blank is going on here? You know, you're, you're bringing these people into our neighborhoods. We don't know who they are. Crime, disease, poverty, all this stuff is happening, and you're <clears throat> diverting resources, our tax dollars, to take care of people who've never paid one red cent in taxes. This is nuts. This is just yep. sheer lunacy, and we need to call it out, Bob. We need to be plain, and I don't care if people call us names. Uh, we're Americans first. We are compassionate people. We have an immigration policy. None of us have said we should completely shut down our immigration program. We have a lawful immigration program that's been vetted, that's been deliberated over, that we've made, we've made determinations about it over the course of decades to determine this is the best approach in terms of national security, in terms of the number of people who can come across, all that stuff. Yet we've completely abandoned that, and we've seen the ramifications. This is an invasion similar to what you would find if we had a hot war. Maybe even worse, because it has lulled us into a sense of security, and it should not at any time. If anyone thinks, I mean, anybody with a brain knows, and Christopher Ray finally had to come out and say, the red lights are flashing like at no time he's ever seen before. Anyone with a brain knows those who wish to do us harm know that they can stroll across the southern border very casually, very leisurely, organize themselves into little cells, and then visit harm upon Americans. And our president and the administration and a lot of other Democrats, let's face it, it's Democrats. Sorry, Democrats. Sorry, media. Media who refuses to report about this. Media who went ballistic when with the kids in cages with Trump. We now have hundreds of thousands of kids in cages. Never once will you see the media down there. Never once will you see Ocasio-Cortez crying at an empty parking lot. This this is the the craziest thing imaginable. Yeah, it is. Let me me jump in because I've got about five minutes left for you, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about our final topic this morning, because this one is, uh, I don't know, as big as or bigger uh, than anything that we have, of course, and that is the uh, the reality of uh, our, our democracy being in jeopardy. These liberal activists, whether it's in Colorado or now in Maine, um, are, are taking action with no intent of it actually sticking, knowing that the law is not on their side, but they're, I mean, to some extent, virtue signaling almost, you know, showing that they, you know, are liberals and 
and they are against Donald Trump and therefore using their little fiefdom to try to prevent him from being president. But, you know, these the rule of law is the most important thing here. And obviously, to your point, uh, due process rights uh, for him to be on the ballot, uh, you know, would include that the fact that he's never been charged, never been convicted, never been otherwise even suggested of being charged uh, with this idea of insurrection. And therefore, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, doesn't apply. But That's Matt Whitaker, Matthew Whitaker, talking about Maine joining Colorado. Now, this time not by the Supreme Court, which is Colorado's case, but by the unelected Secretary of State in yeah. Maine abusing her power to boot Trump off of the ballot. I understand that appeals in both of those states are being filed today. Uh, hopefully this is going to be addressed by the United States Supreme Court sooner rather than later. But your thoughts? Um, my thoughts, first of all, are I'll repeat something I've said a number of times in your show, and I do whenever I'm speaking before audiences, and that is that whenever you talk to people from certain countries, mainly Eastern European countries, sometimes from Vietnam and uh, other places that have had totalitarian regimes, they will tell you, folks, please do not go down this path. This does not end well. We've seen this movie before. It's really striking that for the last several years we've been hearing Democrats, and by that I include the media, running around talking about Trump being a threat to democracy. And I'm trying to remember precisely what it is that Trump did to threaten democracy, despite the fact that, you know, you, you won't be able to find one. You won't. They'll manufacture something. Oh, he did this or he tried to do that. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, but they keep talking about threats to democracy when they are actively engaging in the eradication. This is it, a direct election. They don't want you to vote for a particular candidate. You don't get to vote for the candidate of your choice because a sole secretary of state or someone who hasn't even been elected by the people decides to engage in either virtue signaling or a really misguided vision of the Constitution and deprive the people of that state from voting for their preferred candidate. That's the threat to democracy, and they need to be careful, because this has a cascade effect. As the people from Vietnam or Eastern European countries will tell you, you don't play with the very fragile mechanisms of democracy, because all kinds of unforeseen events can occur. We can't predict what will occur, but this is the kind of thing I will say again. That occurred in Soviet Union, where you could not vote for certain individuals. Hey, do you, you think people get to vote legitimately for Vladimir Putin or any of these other folks? No. They make a decision as to who gets to vote. The rest of them, they get defenestrated. They literally get thrown out of windows. We haven't gotten to that point yet, but Trump's being thrown off the ballot, again, by unelected individuals. It doesn't matter if they're elected or not. You don't get to simply throw somebody off the ballot because you believe he engaged in a quote-unquote insurrection, an insurrection that hasn't been adjudicated at all, an insurrection that's a clown show, frankly. Uh, the claim is a clown show, and I don't mind, I don't mind debating anybody on this, especially, uh, what's her name, Cheney, who I don't know what happened to her. She went off the deep end, but frankly, there's been no adjudication of this. They're threatening democracy with this. It needs to stop immediately, and I say once again, to the Republican Party. You better start acting on these things. These kinds of things are the things that will undermine the United States of America, and a person much smarter than me, Victor Davis Hanson, has authored two magnum opuses in the last three weeks or so on this issue. As an historian, he thinks 2024 is it. We are either going to preserve the United States of, of America as we once knew it, or it's going away. Peter Kersenow, uh off to a flying start in 2024. Terrific an uh, analysis, as always, my friend. Thank you so much, Peter. We'll talk to you very soon. Thanks, Bob.
right, 10.55, we're going to take our time out of here. I've been informed that State Representative Josh Williams is ready to rock. He'll be joining us after the top of the hour news. We're going to talk to him about... Or it's free. So don't put up with half solutions or... Call why it works and... Consider it done. License number 30185. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France. On AM 1420, The Answer. The first hour, number three, of 2024 is now underway. It's nine minutes past 11. Thank you for being with us on this Tuesday, the second morning of the first month of this year of our Lord, 2024. Did I say 23 a minute ago? That's my first time, Seth. I think I did it now for the first time. I knew it was going to happen probably a few times over the course of the week. Always that calendar flip over. You're writing a check. You put the wrong year on. You know, you put the old year on. Or if you're saying it out of a habit of muscle memory, you're going to, you're going to botch it once or twice. So I think I just did it. So anyway, uh, year of our Lord 2024. Um, toward the end of 2023, Governor Mike DeWine slapped a veto incomprehensibly and indefensibly on the SAFE Act, saving adolescents from experimentation, which encompassed also the Saving Women's Sports Act, or the Save Women's Sports Act. This was the um, reaction of Ohio State Representative Josh Williams, quote, At Governor Mike DeWine's veto of HB 68 is a grave mistake. Out of a desire to be compassionate, he has imperiled children. We were elected to lead, not cower from the woke mob. I will fight tooth and nail when we come back to session to override the governor's veto and put the safety of Ohio's children first. That's a strong statement. I liked it. Some people didn't. Some suggested that it was pretty good in its messaging, but but maybe questioned the assessment of Governor DeWine's compassion. I thought it might be good to ask uh, uh, Representative Williams himself exactly what he thinks of that and exactly what it's going to take to get an override done, and he is kind enough to join us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Representative Williams, good to have you back. How are you good, sir? I'm good. How are you doing, Bob? Doing well. Thanks very much. I always appreciate the chance to talk to you. You're one of my favorite members of uh, the Ohio House. You've been since you got in, and I'm uh, very glad to have you aboard. So let's start um, with that part of this. I was reading some of the responses to your tweet after the governor's veto this past Friday, and they're saying, you know, you're right to oppose this, you're right to try to override this, but I think you're wrong when you're saying he did this out of a desire to be compassionate. Tell me why you think he was being compassionate and not just being, quite frankly, the evil of what I believe from what I learned during COVID, uh, governor for him uh, that he really is. Well, I didn't want to assume his intentions, right? There's been reports about him receiving campaign donations from the hospitals here in the state of Ohio. 
yeah. whether or not these were rooted in, you know, rhino motives. I didn't want to assume his intention. So it seemed as though the message he was giving was about compassion towards these tough decisions that parents have to make. But for me, it was it was a bigger issue that I didn't put in my tweet, and that this was a clear attempt by the governor's office to try to pull legislative power away from the state house and place it in his administrative agencies. And I directly refute any effort by the governor to try to do that. Okay, now that's an interesting development. Um, that I, that's something I had not considered yet. Let's start first, though, on the merits of his argument, if there are any merits of his argument. One of the most important things that I heard in his argument is that um, he believes that it's wrong for the legislature, you guys, to put more power in the hands of government than in the hands of the two parents, who, of course, are the two people who love the children the most, to take the power away from the parents and their medical providers to make these decisions and put it in the hands of the government is wrong. How do you respond to that part? I say it's a cop-out. And the reason it's a cop-out, he can't stand behind that statement because as soon as he said that statement and he wrapped up his veto, he then said, well, the government shouldn't be in that decision-making. It's for the two people that love the child the most. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go to my administrative agency and tell them to direct hospitals and medical providers that they can't provide surgeries for minors, under the, you know, children under the age of 18. So either you want the government in the decision or you don't want the government in the decision. You can't have your cake and eat it, too, Governor DeWine. So it wasn't an idea that he, he didn't want government. He just didn't want the legislative branch dictating it. Instead, like COVID, he wanted the executive branch to have unilateral authority to decide what needs to be done. And uh, I'm sorry, but the lawmaking authority rests in the state legislature solely. So when it, when it comes to the issue, though, of, of you know, adolescents um, who are not old enough to make decisions on things like contracts, uh, to whether or not they can buy or drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, join the military, and all these other things before they're 18 or 21 in some cases, when it comes to them being able to decide to take life-altering drugs, uh, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and so forth in preparation for these surgeries, um, whether it be legislative or executive, should the government have the role in that over the parents and the doctors? Uh, the, the simple answer is yes, and we've said that time and time again as the legislature. Now, I'll give you an example. In two, April 5th of 2019, uh, Ohio Revised Code 2903.32 became law, and that dealt with female genital mutilation. Mm-hmm. And that law specifically said that you can't, you know, mutilate a, a, a young girl's body for cultural or ritual purposes, even with the consent of the minor, the parent, or the doctor. So for four years, we've said you can't do this for cultural purposes. Um, this is improper. Wait until someone's 18. Then in just four years now, we believe that you can cut off the breasts of young girls for essentially cultural purposes with the idea of gender identity issues. And uh, I, I say that, that that's not what physicians should be doing here in the state of Ohio. They tried, the, the governor tried to say that these surgeries aren't occurring at our hospitals, but during our committee process, which the governor didn't participate in, he can just hear from people that are interested. But we, you know, had the opportunity to question these witnesses. And they finally admitted that the hospitals may not provide these surgeries, but they do give them referrals out to providers that do provide those surgeries. And there's been doctors that have openly stated they do double mastectomies on girls age 16 here in the state of Ohio. But the surgeries weren't even the main concern. 
although that shouldn't happen at all. It's these chemicals that are going to permanently sterilize these children that we've heard hospitals prescribing these chemicals to children as young as nine years old. Puberty right. blockers. That, that is irreprehensible that you are making a decision for a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old, that will make it where that child will never have the opportunity to have children in the future or live a normal life. Allow that child to become the age of 18 and make that decision for themselves when they become an adult. We're talking with uh, State Representative Josh Williams, Ohio 41. A little earlier this morning, I spoke with State Representative Gross, and I also spoke with uh, Civil Rights Commissioner Peter Kersenau about this. You know, we have rules in place where the government is allowed to substitute its judgment for that of parents. Um, it is it is extreme, but it's there for a reason, and that is when parents are abusive. We have child protective services agencies to make sure that children who are being neglected and not fed are taken away from parents who are doing those terrible things, or who are being beaten routinely, uh, not for disciplinary purposes, but for sadistic purposes and so forth, not being educated, allowed to go to school, etc., uh, you know, we have child protective services because guess what? Parents don't always do the right thing. And that is exactly, is it not, Representative Williams, what has to happen here? If a parent wants to sterilize a nine year old or a 10 year old by putting them on these drugs because the nine year nine year old or 10 year old says that's what they want to do in their preformative brains and preformative minds, that's exactly when the government needs to be there. Yeah, I believe it, it's, it's a, a simple analysis of is this abuse? And he answers yes. One, if my child thought he was Superman, I'm not going to give him a cape and say jump off a building, right? Uh, it's a child. They, I, we, we for decades understood that child, children's brains are underdeveloped. They can't make these life-altering decisions, and parents are supposed to step in and prevent them from making those types of decisions. And when the parent refuses to step in, it's a form of neglect. It's a form of abuse, and the government has an obligation to step in. Essentially what we're seeing is a lot of the families that are having these children we had one come and testify in the committee saying that they're, they're non-binary, they're, they're gender fluid, and they have two transgender children. Statistically speaking, that's impossible. <laughs> um, but it just so happens that in that woke home, that type of uh, social engineering is occurring, and those children are being transitioned. And one of the things that's important that people are missing is the governor concentrated on saying, that this is a protection of parental rights to decide what's best for their children. Mm-hmm. There's a portion of that bill that Representative Gary Click made sure was going to remain in that bill, and that was that in-custody dispute. It should not be a determination of whether or not a parent will affirm a child's gender identity for purposes of custody or visitation. We've started to see our juvenile and domestic relations courts deny parents their custodial rights over a child merely because they won't consent to a child transitioning. This was a, a section that specifically enshrined in the law that as a parent, you have a right to be involved in that decision. And the governor, by vetoing this, stripped away those parental rights. He's telling parents, no, if your child wants to transition and you object to it, we will remove your parental rights. We will give uh, visitation and custody over to the parent who's going to affirm that child's identity. And we've seen cases across the United States where both parents, mom and dad, had their custody taken away and custody transferred to the grandparents who would transition a young girl. 
Yeah, well, in, uh, really I think in Washington State and, and maybe Oregon and California, too, but it's all the way up and down that left coast there. But I know for sure in Washington State, they passed a bill that basically says if your child runs away from your home because you won't agree to transition them, the state will not tell you where that child is. You can't even find that kid. That kid goes into state custody, into a state foster home or situation where, where the parents don't even get to know what happened to their kid or where they went. That's how, that's how crazy this is, and I'm concerned that that kind of thing is going to spread to places like Ohio if we don't override this veto. So, Representative Josh Williams, I know you are committed to doing that. Uh, I asked Representative Gross whether or not she thinks Jason Stevens, the Speaker, will call that vote. Um, She said she doesn't talk to the members of the uh, Blue 22, so she doesn't know. Do you know if we're going to get that done as soon as you guys return next week? I know uh, we've had um, leadership reach out to see if members are going to be in town on the 10th. It was listed as an if-needed session um, about whether or not we had enough members that were going to be in town to be able to do um, the override on the 10th, or were we going to wait to the 24th? I am imploring all of my colleagues to be there on the 10th, because under the direction of the Senate and the governor's office, there was a poison pill that they tried to drop into this bill, and an effort to compromise. Uh, Representative Click included it which is a grandfather clause that says once this becomes law, right, any child that's already on puberty blockers are now grandfathered in. So we've already seen a push by the hospitals and the clinics to go out and recruit these kids who were even considering whether or not in the future to transition, telling them you need to get a prescription now, even if you don't take the medication, so you're grandfathered in, in the future if you want to decide to take it. So giving them an extra 14 days is just going to give them new clients to go and to listen to. That's huge. That's a, I did not know about that poison pill. That's very important, and I'm glad to hear you say that. Now, I want to ask you this. Going When I say I'm glad to hear is that uh, I'm glad to hear you are urging everybody to get back there in time to do this on the 10th. Um, so, Representative Williams, let's, let's suppose we get it done. An override uh, happens, in, and I think the Senate has indicated they will absolutely vote to override if the House does it first. So let's suppose it gets done. It's now law. The SAFE Act is law. As an attorney, you probably can answer this question better than many representatives. How does the SAFE Act stack up then constitutionally against the issue one law that was just passed in November on reproductive rights being the sole decision of an individual, which, of course, we all know why they did it that way. Uh, it, it says individual, not adult, so that kids can do this without parental consent. Um, these two things seem to be in direct contravention of one another. What happens legally? So what's going to happen is there's going to be a series of court cases to determine what's the definition of every single word that's in this amendment, even the word individual. What is going to be classified as reproductive uh, decision? It's another set of words that are going to be defined. Uh, one of the best things we have is a conservative Supreme Court, um, God willing that they remain after the next election cycle, um, to make those determinations. But let's be clear, myself and my colleagues were sp- t- attempting to spread the word about issue one throughout the entire election cycle and were caught bigots and caught liars that this wasn't going to apply to uh, gender transitioning surgeries and blah, blah, blah. The Democrats, as soon as issue one was enacted, came out with their reproductive health bill. And if you look in that bill, they specifically outlined that part of reproductive health is gender-affirming care, including gender-affirming surgery. 
So they put it now in a piece of legislation where they said all they were doing was enshrining in the statute issue one. They outlined it clearly that issue one applies to gender transitioning surgery. So if you interpret that the way they want you to, a minor child will have the right to make reproductive decisions on their own without parental consent. And that's that's fine and dandy. What we are doing is we're going after the medical providers who are trying to make this happen, right? They have licenses to practice here in the state of Ohio that is governed by the legislature, and we will decide how we move forward on penalizing individuals who want to allow children to to make these life-altering decisions, especially our, our public hospitals who are simply trying to create customers out of children, lifelong customers out of our children. That is exactly what they're doing. Uh, And uh, and, and I cannot help but wonder, again, these children's hospitals who, of course, make, I can't even imagine how much more they're going to make if if indeed this veto stands, but how much more money they're going to make creating these lifelong customers, performing these procedures. The pharmaceutical companies get rich because they're going to have to continue to take these, you know, these hormones and and drugs uh, even after their surgeries for the rest of their lives. And I wonder how much their influence has over a man like Mike DeWine. I know only $40,000. um, was was what they were able to total up in terms of the hospital donations to DeWine's campaign. And his campaign, of course, cost millions. But but nonetheless, it is indicative of the fact that uh, they can have sway over not just the executive, but other legislative, uh, legislative members as well, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, money always has its own uh, persuasive uh, pursuits here in politics. Um, luckily, myself and a lot of my colleagues that I, I really do respect, we're not influenced by that. If you want to donate to my campaign, that's fine, but never come into my office thinking you're going to get influenced because you donated any amount of money to my campaign. I'm guided by morals and, and the mission that I'm on. But I, I absolutely believe that money can play an issue here, and, and it, it absolutely has when it comes to the hospitals. I mean, look no further than Biden's um, um, admiral, uh, the undersecretary, um, who is transgender themselves, uh, when she was or he uh, was in Pennsylvania, uh, stated openly, right, that the return on investment in opening gender clinics and hospitals would pay for themselves within five years because they are going to not only solicit children uh, to get on these type of policies, even if they didn't take drugs or surgery, that if you solicited these children young enough and they underwent therapy and gender-affirming care uh that at the age of 18, then they would transition. So essentially, they were arguing that the return on investment in recruiting these children, convincing them that they're transgender, will pay off in the long run because you will create lifelong customers that now need to be on hormone supplements, surgical interventions, and and more uh, for the remainder of their life in order to maintain this facade. Last question for you, Representative Josh Williams, Ohio 41, and thank that's great information, and thank you for that. Um, Representative Gross had identified a couple of people that she's concerned about as Governor DeWine looks to maybe peel off some of the yes votes uh, to pass the SAFE Act and to, to stop the override. Is there anybody you're concerned about, and is there anybody you want to direct Ohio uh, concerned Ohio voters to in terms of contacting fellow members of the House in order to make sure this gets done? I don't want to call out any of my members by name, but I I anticipate Northwest Ohio being represented with yes votes. And if not, there's going to be some tough primaries here in Northwest Ohio. Okay. 
That's a fair way to say that. I, I guess I'll just go on to tell everybody within the sound of my voice, because we've got people listening all over the state by way of our uh, website and so forth. So I want every Ohio voter that cares about kids and wants to stop uh, adults from letting kids make decisions that will ruin their lives in their preformative brains and at this time where they're so vulnerable, contact every representative. Even if you're confident in their yes vote, make sure that they show up on the 10th to get this done, to get this override done. Make sure every Ohio senator knows as well we expect them to override this and do uh, the will of the people, which is to protect our children. Representative Josh Williams, thank you for coming on. Terrific uh, articulation of the points that needed to be made here. We appreciate that very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, that's Josh Williams. We'll take our uh, time out here, our final time out. We've got uh, one segment to go, and this one will be yours. We've had a lot of interviews to uh, uh, start. 1818. Thank you for finally noticing. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, it is 1136 on this Tuesday. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to my guests. We had great chats already with Jennifer Gross, uh, with uh, Josh Williams, and, of course, Peter Kersenow. Uh, terrific, as always. I welcome you now at 216 Let's get the year started off right with some great phone calls. First caller of the year, since I did interviews for the entire show so far, is Richard, who is in Mayfield. Richard, welcome to the show. You're on AM 1420. The answer, go right ahead. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Hopefully I'm not duplicative of some of the other conversations that were on while I was working. But when I first saw in the discussion about the Wuss governor vetoing the bill, HB68, the first thing I thought of, there's no difference between HB68 as far as the transformation operations, but the statutory rape. If the young 15, 16-year-old was all in, gave consent to uh, sexual contact with a, an adult, that's statutory rape. No matter, and if her parents, for some unusual reason, have no problem with their daughter having this consensual relationship, they're complicit. They created crime. I, I, I just do not, well, there's lots of things, to, uh, logic I question about yeah, our me governor. Too. But I yeah. still. So, so you're going to somebody who's making a profit with these operations and the drugs, and then they talk to trans kids. Talk to these trans kids five years from now, or so, and, and suddenly, well, yes, I really am a woman, but I can't nurse my kids anymore, or that sort of thing. Right. But yeah. Oh, the damage. To, the damage is irreversible, which is why. You know, the law is what it is with respect to things that, you know, that are permanent. For example, permanently uh, damaging a child by, by giving them alcohol or allowing them to have alcohol when they're in their teens or when they're 12 or 13 years old. It's going to do permanent damage to their brain. So guess what? We say you can't do, you can't choose to use that stuff until you're 21 years of age. Um, you know, same thing with any other bodily, you know, bodily procedures, even tattoos and things of that nature. These are permanent. We don't let kids make those decisions because they're just not formative enough yet in their brains to to make uh, sound decisions so of course things well, like you so, just described should should be should be included and the thing is i'm talking about parents rights 
Mm-hmm. You know, if I had a 12-year-old and I decided that I'm going to buy him or her a bottle of vodka, it's just I don't have that right under the statute. That's right. But it's getting back. You know, my main thing is if you can outlaw statutory rape, you can outlaw other things in which the child is, as you just indicated, is too immature to make the decision. And the parents do not have the privilege to make that decision for the child. That's right. That's right. They're, you know, and typically speaking, and, and Richard, thank you for a great call and great points that you made. Uh, it's a great way to start the year. Um, to the point or the part about parents' rights, obviously, conservative-minded people like myself, <clears throat> obviously like Richard and probably, probably the, the overwhelming majority of people listening to this program, we want parents to be able to have the right to say what their kids learn and what their kids do and so forth, rather than the government by way of government schools. We have this debate all the time, do we not? We have this discussion all the time. We want to know what our kids are learning. We want to know what our kids are being taught and being indoctrinated with and so on and so forth. And so, uh, you know, we demand parents' rights be honored. But we also have limitations to those things when what the parents are choosing for their children amounts to, as Josh Williams, Representative Josh Williams has said, rises to the level of abuse. Disciplining a child by spanking them, parents' rights. Abusing a child by beating them bloody with weapons, not parents' rights. Government gets to step in. A parent talking to their child about some confusion that they might have based on things that they've seen on the Internet or things that their their blue-haired, nose-ringed elementary school teachers told them that they should be or could be instead of what they are. These kinds of things, having conversations with those kids about that, taking them to get psychological therapy and counseling to, to remove and solve that confusion. Parents' rights. Taking that child down to a clinic and getting them puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones that are going to forever alter their fertility and their bodily functions, not okay. That's abusive. That is when the government should step in and say, no, you cannot do that. That's the difference. We support parents' rights over the state. But we know that there has to be a level of state and governmental protection of children against abusive parents. That's why Departments of Child Protective Services exist. Don is in Lakewood. Hey, Don, you're on the air. Fire away, good sir. Hello, hello, Mr. France, and Happy New Year to you. And to you as well, Um, sir. Good to speak to you. You know, this immigration thing's got me really riled up lately. Uh, and there is, there can be no meeting of minds between the right and the left on this issue. It's just not going to happen because the mantra of the left has been that the immigration system is broken, and uh, uh, they try to pass legislation on it, and Republicans uh, didn't approve it, and they they position that as as their main effort. However, nothing was ever mentioned regarding actually sealing the border or doing something about what's happening down there. No. Uh, not nothing, because finally, finally, there are pundits and there are commentators and Republicans that are actually starting to realize and admit publicly that this is all about amassing potential votes. Um, and they're finally, they're finally actually talking about this. Not not so just votes, 100%. not just votes, potential votes, Don, but also congressional representation. 
You know that California has probably six or seven more congressional seats out of the 435 in the house in the in the uh, in the house in the Ohio or in the uh, U.S. House of Representatives than they should have because we don't count citizens; we count residents, and that means illegals right. who are funneled into California and some of these other places. Uh, they are counted. Uh, and so, therefore, the, more congressional representation happens. That's why there's been 9 million of them that have come in during the Biden administration, and they go to areas where they yes. want to have a new representation. And Obama started this back during his tenure. And, in fact, the first words out of his mouth uh, when he took office was, the immigration system is broken. And that should... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.